Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. What do tiny houses have to do with travel? Not much on the surface, but you might be surprised by how many tactics and tips from the tiny house movement can help you travel the world. We're going to share seven powerful lessons in today's show, so stick around for that. Plus, I just got back to Norway, where I live, from a three-week trip back to my home country, the USA, and I feel like this trip has improved my daily life for the better. I'll share why in this show. Travel always teaches you something, right? Even on a three-week trip... Back to your home country, you can still learn so much from travel. It's one of the things I love. Anyway, let's get into the show. Thank you for being here, my friend, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so kindly for hanging out with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Where are you at today? What are you doing? Pet your dog for me if you're taking your dog for a walk or maybe run a little harder on that treadmill if you're getting a workout or try to stay warm if you're on one of those overnight buses and it doesn't have much heat. I've been there. I've been there. You got to get all the clothes you have out of your backpack and just put them on and stay nice and cozy. Anyway, thank you for being here. I think I'm over my jet lag. It has been a couple days since I've been back at the time of this recording It took me a while to get over my jet lag in the States at the beginning of my trip because I flew from Oslo to Denver. Eight-hour time difference was huge, and my whole tactic for getting over jet lag is just staying up till 10 o'clock, at least 9.30. All right, 9 sometimes. (laughs) 9 or 10 o'clock. If you can make it till 9 or 10 o'clock, you're usually so tired that you just crash out and then you just wake up the next day and everything's fine. In theory, it didn't quite work out that way for me. It worked out like that for the first couple days, and then I spiraled into uh, one of those weird patterns where I would wake up at 4 in the morning, and then I'd be up till 7 in the morning, and then I'd go back to sleep finally, and I just could not get things straight. It took me about a week, and coffee did help, I will say. Coffee 
helped me stay awake during the days, but maybe it didn't help me so much at night. And I drank a lot of coffee when I was there. It was great to visit all the different coffee shops. I did miss my AeroPress, though. I wanted to mention them quickly. They're supporting today's show. If you go to AeroPressInc.com, you're going to see one of the coolest coffee makers you've ever seen that makes the most delicious cup of coffee you will have. And I've used it twice today already. I've used it a bunch of times since I've been back because I miss that thing. I love having my AeroPress coffee in the morning. And this thing's 35 bucks right now. It's really affordable. It doesn't have any plugs or anything like that. It's just a press thing. It's a little hard to describe. Just go to aeropressinc.com and check it out. If you love coffee, you're going to love the AeroPress. And because it is fairly small, it's great to travel with. If you're going on a road trip, if you're going camping, this is the thing to bring. Also, a quick thanks to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. When I went to the States, what did I bring? My usual setup, the Tortuga Outbreaker and the Tortuga Day Pack, my favorite one-two combo for traveling for any length trip anywhere in the world. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, you can see the gear from them that I recommend. And you can also get 10% off if you decide to order anything by just entering the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. Just the word TRAVEL. And if you do grab anything, you'll also be supporting the show. So you don't have to do a bunch of research. If you're looking for a new backpack, these are the ones I recommend. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga, 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. My guest today actually introduced me to the AeroPress, and it goes with the theme of today's show. We're talking about tiny things and tiny houses, which is a movement that is getting more and more popular. People are building these tiny homes, either on trailers or on land somewhere, and living very minimally, trying to get rid of their mortgage, which goes hand in hand with travel. If you don't have debt, it's much easier to travel the world. There's a little foreshadowing for you that might be one of the seven powerful lessons we share in this show. And as I was talking out the concept for this show with my guest, I was really blown away by how many things we could take from this movement and apply to long-term or full-time travel that are going to help you out. You're going to dig this. I know it. Enjoy listening in on this conversation and stick around because on the other side, I'll talk about what I mentioned at the top of the show, my trip to the States, how it's changed my daily life for the better, I believe. And I'm going to share a quote and also a shout out to somebody in the Zero to Travel listening community, the caravan. And you never know if it's going to be you. So <laughs> stick around for that and much more. I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is not only one of my best buds, but host of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and founder of thetinyhouse.net, where you can learn about all things Tiny House related. But this is a travel podcast, so I know you might be thinking, what do tiny houses have to do with seeing the world? Well, you're about to find out because we're going to share with you today seven lessons from the tiny house movement that can help you travel more. And stick around for number seven because it has to do with pooping in a bucket. You're not going to want to miss that one. Ethan Waldman, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. It is so good to be back on the show, Jason. Yeah, three-time guest now, which is uh, pretty spectacular. Well, we, we've we been friends for a while now. And, and some of the past shows, if you want to hear Ethan, we do a whole tiny house episode where we share his story. And it's really tiny house specific. And then we have another episode where you talk about your cycle touring experience. And I think that was part of our cycle touring week. But anyway, it's nice to see your face. How are you today? Thanks, man. I'm doing great. And I have to say, you were trying to convince me to start a podcast 
all the way back the first time I was on this show. So I finally did it. And I have to thank you for that motivation. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm glad you did. And you said you're having a blast with it, right? I love it. Yeah, I can't believe I waited this long. You know, it's still small. I'm growing the show. But just the experience of getting to chat with other amazing tiny house people who are innovating in the field, who are building amazing houses, who are traveling, who are doing amazing things. It's just like so inspiring to get to have those conversations every week. Yeah, you feel really fortunate to have the platform and then get to have these interactions and then share them and get feedback from people who are also getting value out of it. So it is a beautiful thing. And I'm glad you finally pulled the trigger on that. And one of the things I love to do just in general in life is to take lessons from things that are seemingly unrelated to a topic that you're interested in and then putting them through the filter, the lens of your interests and kind of utilizing them. Because I think that's where a lot of creative ideas and, and different perspectives can come from. We might get into our little bubbles here. You're in your tiny house bubble or maybe we're in the digital nomad bubble sometimes or the long-term travel bubble or whatever it is and you're surrounded by all that stuff. But then you read a book on... I don't know, quantum physics or something. And you're like, wow, you read about how a scientist, their story and how they looked at something differently or something like that. And, and you think, oh, wow, I can like apply that to my life in this certain way. And that's something we're doing today, really. That's That was the genesis of this episode. And before we get into this list, Ethan, I wanted to ask you about beekeeping because I always joke with you, you live in Vermont and... I always joke with you that you should have some kind of Vermont podcast because every time I call you, you're doing something very Vermonty, whatever that means. I know you do some, some beekeeping, right? Yeah, although it's mainly my wife Anne's thing at this point. Uh, she's she's super into it. I say that she's the queen bee and I'm her chief drone. Uh, <laughs> the drones are the male bees who basically are completely expendable. So I do all like any building projects, any infrastructure things. When she's like, I need you to build me a fence. That's that's what I do. But she is the head beekeeper. Yeah, I was wondering if you know if that one specifically or something else, you can think of an example from something that's totally unrelated to what you do, tiny houses, that you've been able to take a lessons, either life lessons or like specific lessons from and integrate them into your work or, or other things that you love. I know you're a big kite surfer, so there could be something there too. I am a big kite surfer. I've been doing it for close to four years now. And it's so challenging every day. I feel like I learn something every time I have a new session. And I think what I take from that is when you try new things, you know, I'll try a new trick that has nothing to do with um, a different technique in riding. But you try that new trick and maybe you fail, but you figure something else about something completely unrelated. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to do a back roll, which is like a backflip. But then because of something that I do in that trick, it helped me ride a surfboard better. Right. Like you lost your balance in some way and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. It's better to stand that way instead of exactly. the way I've been doing it for three weeks exactly. or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, that's the value that comes from bringing, I think, things you could say, quote, from the outside world or outside of whatever your interest is and bring it in. That's what we're doing today. And, you know, particularly when I thought about tiny houses and everything that you've done and everybody that you serve, I see a lot of parallels with some of those key principles and learnings and things that are part of that lifestyle, because it is really a lifestyle. I mean, you could say a tiny house is, oh, it's just a building. It's a small house, but really it's a lifestyle and a movement. And we should probably start there and just explain, you can just give us a quick overview on what this is all about. Because maybe 
some people are hearing this term tiny house for the first time. Sure. So the tiny house movement started about 15 years ago, and it gained a ton of popularity in the last five or six years. And we define a tiny house as any structure under four or 500 square feet. And in the United States, at least, that has taken the form of houses that are built directly on a trailer. So it's a house that can be moved. And you might be thinking right off the bat, well, that sounds just like an RV. And what's different about tiny houses is that they are built like, quote unquote, normal houses. So they have insulation, they have heating, they have plumbing, they have everything that a larger house would have, except that they're much smaller. And people are coming to this movement and deciding to live tiny across a huge age range. When I started, I thought that it was probably just going to be 20-somethings like me, because I was in my 20s at that time. But I'm seeing just as many retirees going tiny now than young people. So it's really across the the age range. Yeah. When you zoom out, I think the spirit of the tiny house movement, generally speaking, and the spirit of the long-term travel and you know nomadic movement or whatever you want to call it, is really based around having more freedom in life and choosing a particular lifestyle that is not only fulfilling to you personally, but that gives you more freedom so you can you know, exercise, exercise that freedom of time and, you know, things that we're going to get into today. So we should probably get into these lessons because we have a lot to talk about and we should share lesson number one. Do you want to, do you want to take over on that one? Sure. So lesson number one is ditch your crap. Ditch your crap. I know we're talking about pooping in a bucket later, but it maybe crap's going to show up in a couple of forms. Ditch your stuff. Ditch your stuff. (laughs) So, This is the number one lesson in the tiny house movement that can also help you travel more, which is you need to learn how to downsize. When I decided to build a tiny house during those several months that I was saving up money to build the house, the way that I kept myself excited about the project was by doing something that I could do and I couldn't build because I didn't have the money yet. So I could downsize. And so I started with the easy stuff, the books that I hadn't read in years, the clothes that kept getting moved from from rental house to rental house but never got worn, extra kitchen stuff. And so I recommend starting with the easy stuff and then going into the hard stuff. So build up, basically start downsizing in an area of your life that you're like, "Ah, I've been hanging on to this stuff for a while. I could live without it. And then work your way up because you kind of build up some momentum. I love that. I like what you said about, you know, you're still taking control of the situation in a way and you're saying, okay, well, even if you're getting ready for your first trip or your next trip or whatever it is going to be a long-term trip and you need to get rid of some stuff, you're saying, hey, I can't, maybe I can't book the plane ticket now. Maybe I can't leave my job just yet, but I can do something that's taking action towards that. And I can sell these books and do these things. And you'll feel like even if you have this plan where you're a year away from traveling and taking a year off or whatever, you're still taking action towards it. That feels really good, right? Absolutely. And and what's interesting about downsizing is that it's not a one-time thing. It's a constant battle. I have a friend who's a, a math professor and she travels all over the world teaching 
seminars and she goes on sabbaticals and, and travels. And I see that she is constantly downsizing because no matter how vigilant you are, wherever you go, you accumulate things. People give you gifts. You buy an extra pair of hiking boots when your old ones get lost on the plane. And then you have to make choices about what you keep. So downsizing is is a skill that you can use forever. That's true. My wife and I are finding ourselves in that situation right now. They say that you know, you, you always get enough stuff to fill the space that you're in, which is a good thing in a tiny house, I guess, because there's not much space to fill, right? So you, by default, you need to have less stuff because there's nowhere to put it unless you're starting to tarp everything outside and that probably gets annoying. Yeah, you're right. You just accumulate things and sometimes it's not even intentional. You're not even buying them. You're giving given things or whatever. So um, I think the hardest part for people before we go to the next point is the... It's not just the physical getting rid of stuff, but the emotional attachments to certain things. So when you get beyond like the books and the clothes you haven't worn for a while and stuff like that, and you get to an item, I don't know if that was something that stands out for you where you were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can let this thing go, but it's taking up all the space. Uh, how did how do you manage that? And what is your advice around around those moments and those things? Well, the good news is that you don't have to do anything. Nobody's holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to get rid of this thing. So when I encounter something like that, I usually put it back and I make a mental note, you know, keep an eye on this. See see if you use this thing. And the next time that I'm kind of in a downsizing tear, if I come back across that thing, most of the time, nine times out of 10, I haven't used it. I haven't worn it. And the second and the third time, it gets easier because you realize, you know, I like this thing, but it's really just not, I'm just not using it and I don't yeah. need it. So it gets easier if you revisit. The bonus tip too, is you can take everything you sell, take the cash from that and just put it into your travel fund. Then you feel like you're, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone there. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I was downsizing, I was definitely selling anything that had value on Craigslist and eBay and putting that right into my tiny house fund. Yeah, nice. Did you have a separate bank account for your tiny house fund? Yeah, I set up a like a savings account in my Capital One. Like you can just make as many savings accounts as you can. So I actually called it the Tiny House Freedom Fund and you oh, know, awesome. actually physically moving money from my checking account into that account was also just felt powerful. I love the name of that, just adding <laughs> adding freedom in there. I think that's something everybody should do if you're having trouble saving up for a trip or you're just in the process of it, if you can open a free savings account and you can name it something like that, like the Travel Freedom Fund, that just, it makes it more fun to put money away, right? You're like, okay, I know this is going to be money that I'm going to spend on an experience. Totally. And and I made it into a game like, you know, when I went out with some friends and decided like, hey, I'm not going to order drinks. I'm just going to hang here and have a good time. I would go home and be like, well, that's that's $30 in drinks that I get to put in the Freedom Fund now. And I would actually nice. like open up the bank app on my phone and move that money into that account. Oh, that's sweet. And hopefully uh, some of your friends bought you drinks anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm a cheap date. I mean, it doesn't take many. <laughs> You're like, I still had three beers, but I saved um, 25 bucks or whatever. No, that's cool. I love the way, thinking of it that way, where if you're if you're kind of taking away a personal pleasure. Like if you go out with friends like that and you might want to have a few drinks, but if you're saying, you know, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to put it in towards the fund. And then later you get to transfer that money, even though it's sort of a mythical 
30 bucks, right? In a way, but not really because you would have spent it. It's, it's an interesting way to kind of see a concrete result from, you know, you're not just taking away a personal pleasure, but you're adding something later so it balances it out. Yeah, and the best part is that you you don't have to make any more money than you were already making. It's just re it's just refocusing where you're spending it and being intentional about kind of pointing it almost pointing it out to your own brain like, "Hey, look, I chose not to do this, so now later I'm going to get to do that." Just by going through this, you're you're building up another muscle, I think, of an awareness muscle, I guess you could say, where you're becoming hyper aware of where money's going or where you know, I think once you make a decision to travel long term or to build a tiny house or whatever it is and and you're going for this alternative lifestyle type of situation that's sort of outside the box, it's good to kind of start reframing things in that way. And I think that's a great like specific example of how to reframe uh taking away a, a personal pleasure but adding to, you know, another personal pleasure that's for the greater cause of something you're gonna get more enjoyment out of later. Not an easy thing to do all the time in the moment. <laughs> All right, let's go to number two, lesson number two. All right, lesson number two is owning less means living more. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I what, felt like that required a woohoo at the end. I like living it. More. Living, living more. Living more is what I want. <laughs> That's maybe kind you of want to, maybe, do you want to reintroduce that one? Owning less means living more. That's kind Ooh. of how it sounded in my head. I don't know. Like. Oh, I'm jazzed up now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a cliche saying, but it's like, you don't own your stuff, your stuff owns you. Yeah. It's so true. And it's not just a financial suck. And the the like obvious example is when you own a big house, there's so much maintenance. Like the roof goes, okay, that's 20 grand. Oh, the furnace just went out. That's eight grand, you know. But it it works all the way across. Like, you have two cars, that's two times the the maintenance costs. And then it's not even just money, it's time too. You spend so much time cleaning a bigger house, um, organizing more stuff, maintaining more possessions. And so the less you own, the the more travel you can do and the less money you're going to spend. So it's just, it helps you be lean. And, you know, my image of the long-term travel is somebody who has a backpack and I've watched these videos of people being like, here's everything I go around the world with. Here's everything that I carried in my backpack. And I think that like humans are so drawn to that because it's like, wow, this, you know, this person's traveling around the world. I want to know what the important things were because if, if they can do it with just this one backpack, like how could I apply that to my own life? And so, you know, even if you can't, reduce your things down to a backpack owning less just you'll feel the burden of all your stuff lifting as you get rid of it yeah and after you do it for quite some time it's it does change your life forever it's really hard to go back to uh, either a certain way of living or even if you I mean, it's okay to get possessions again and everything once you settle down i think i mean sure it's like to each his own but i think if you've traveled for a long time with minimal stuff you you were just you'd become more hyper aware and 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 judgmental of what you bring into your life which i think is a good thing and a big lesson that i learned from traveling you know with just everything i had with me for so long and not having much else and definitely changed my life forever got me out of that consumer mindset i think when you're growing up especially in the states uh, or i could say 
Western countries, there's just, it's just kind of, consumerism is just like a thing. You don't think of it as, oh, I can opt out of this. It's just kind of a thing, right? I mean, did you have that experience growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the way that the culture raises us collectively. You know, we're watching TV and seeing advertisements for all the the toys that we then inevitably, you know, ask our parents to buy us. And it's, you know, growing up in school, it's just all about what you have, your possessions. So culturally, I think that we start off at a huge deficit. You know, we have such a disadvantage because we're not taught how to to live with less. Yeah. It's amazing the things we aren't taught in school that we should be, but that's probably another podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a good title for a podcast. The seven lessons that you weren't taught in school that yeah. you should learn as an adult. Coming soon to a podcast near you. you know, a friend of mine, before we got on to the next point, I was getting together with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me about his friend who has cars and boats. He's, he just said he has an ungodly amount of money. And his friend was complaining to him saying, oh, you know, yeah, he's like, well, you got all this stuff. But all I do is I'm spending all of my free time taking care of it. To your point, not just the expense because he has plenty of money, but going in, you know, taking this for an oil change and getting maintenance on this. And it's just it's a, a nonstop thing. And it's funny to think, you know, on the surface, you might see somebody like that and walk up to their house and see all their cars and their boat and this, that and think, oh, well, this person's just living the life. They got it all. They got this money, whatever. But, you know, even those people can find themselves burdened by their possessions and, and complaining about them. And, and you know, it's it's just an interesting thing. I don't know. Maybe this goes back to our hunting gathering days, right? Where we didn't really have possessions as cave people. Maybe. Maybe there's maybe. like a whole paleo like I don't know offshoot to this. Maybe. Maybe the next uh, seven lessons from the paleo uh, age. <laughs> All right. That's not this podcast. Let's go no. into lesson number three. All right. Lesson number three, less overhead means less hanging over your head. I don't know nice, about that one. Nice twist on words. Yeah. Well, so this one's huge in the tiny house movement because so many people come to it for financial reasons. You know, either people who are retiring are saying, okay, I'm living on a fixed income now. So I need to reduce my expenses. Let's go with tiny house living. But what ends up happening is people come to the tiny house movement for financial reasons, and then it changes their lives in so many different ways. They start traveling more. They start taking on new hobbies because they have more time. It just, it really just spreads out. And what I realized when I was kind of in the corporate grind before I built my tiny house is that everybody is struggling with this balance of time and money. The people who have lots of time don't really have very much money, so they can't necessarily do the things they want to do. They can't necessarily take that epic ski trip to Vail, or they can't, you know, take up kiteboarding. And then the people with money, the people who, you know, work in full time, punching the clock, money might not be a problem for them, but they have no time. And so tiny house living is, is like a life hack because it allows you to live for so much less money. And what you'll find in the tiny house movement is that people with full-time 
jobs, build a tiny house, and they have no intention to like quit their jobs. But then a few months into it, they're like, I don't need to work this much because my my expenses, my monthly expenses are so low. Like, why do I need to work full time? Oh, I don't. I can work part time now. And so, you know, it's this one is so directly relatable to travel because the the cheaper your monthly nut is, the longer you can be away. I mean, because when you leave on a trip, it's not like your life at home just like ceases to exist. Oh, I mean, maybe it does, but there's a good chance you've got maybe an apartment that you're renting, maybe a mortgage that you're covering. You have expenses and the lower those expenses are, the longer you can you can skate without really earning income. Yeah, I mean, I think the other parallel that you mentioned too is you're choosing the ch- tiny house lifestyle and then you say because of that, all of these other things improve in your life, right? When you're when you have less overhead and, and all of a sudden people are traveling more and things like that. And I think it's the same thing when you're choosing travel. And I, I talk about this a lot because I'm sort of obsessed with this process of, okay, now somebody's choosing to travel and th- travel in and of itself is a reason to travel, right? Being immersed in cultures and seeing the world and how it's going to change you and everything like that. But then you you take it even a step further and think, okay, if you're going to travel long term, that basically forces you into making a lot of other big decisions that uh, I've found through conversations improve people's lives, like starting to analyze what stuff you own, how you're living, if this job's right for you, and all of these other things that are like seem seemingly tangential to the main sort of dream, if you will, of travel, but it's it's all related, right? Because this is all you can't just separate, oh, I'm gonna build a tiny house and like that's this thing and the rest of my life is this bucket. It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, I mean, for example, there's a couple that I know that I can send you their website. They built a tiny house on wheels, sold their house, and then embarked on a round the world bicycle journey. So mm. they like literally built a tiny house to do long-term travel. Sounds like some candidates for the Zero to Travel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on getting them on. Um, yeah, I didn't want to tell you about them until after you booked this interview because <laughs> then you would have just passed right over me. Never, my friend. I'll never pass over a chance to to see your beautiful face, Ethan. Okay, so you have some tools that you use for managing your monthly overhead, right? Do you want to share a couple of resources? Sure. I am a huge fan of YNAB, Y-N-A-B, which stands for You Need a Budget. Uh, it's a budgeting software, I guess you could say. It's, you know, it, it runs in a browser and they have an app for your phone. But I never kept a budget until I found YNAB. And I found YNAB after I was done with my tiny house. Maybe if I had had it, I wouldn't have gone so over budget on my tiny house build. (laughs) Well, yeah, if you need some help or a tool, that's the one you recommend, right? If you're going to actually get into numbers and budgeting, which, you know, I was, you can recommend that to people, but sometimes it's hard to get people to actually do that. I've been meaning to do it for a while myself and I still can't bring myself to setting it all up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the cool thing about YNAB is that it is a budgeting program, but it's also a methodology and they're really great at teaching you the methodology and then the software kind of reinforces that. So you're not just staring at a blank spreadsheet when you open up YNAB. It's really um, a well-guided experience. Got it. Okay, cool. And that's your main tool for budgeting, right? Yeah, exactly. And 
if you are saving up for anything, I so recommend, you know, you don't have to use YNAB, but have a budget, know where your money's going, and then you can really see your progress. You can actually watch your your travel freedom fund grow over the months. Yeah. And of course, for getting out of debt and things like that, which I know a lot of people are fighting that battle, it's it's huge to know where your money's going, of course. And our, I know our point number four here, lesson number four ties in with this one. And that's just, and I'll, I'll take this one, the debt-free life is the good life. And we, we just want to touch on this really quickly because I think when you get into, okay, well, now I'm setting up this app for budgeting. It's, it's all this unsexy stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm going out with friends and I'm not going to have some drinks with them. Oh, I'm going to go online and create my monthly budget. Yay! You know, it's all this stuff is just like, ugh, this sounds like such a drag. But we wanted to put this as point number four just to reinforce the idea of, okay, yeah, looking at the light at the end of the tunnel when you reach it, what that's like. And I, I know personally, after I paid off my student loan, how just how good that felt, you know, of, of not having that debt hanging over my head and how much it freed me up to... I was already traveling even with the debt, doing travel jobs and stuff, but I just, I felt even more free, you know? And um, I mean, feel free to share some of your experience or just stories around just getting rid of debt or you know, not being burdened by that and what that can do for you. I've just been extremely fortunate that I've avoided debt for the most part. Like when I was working my corporate job, I did buy a pretty sweet car and I, I took out some debt for that. It was a, a Mini Cooper Clubman. I did love that thing. It was a lot of fun to drive. But all of a sudden, every month I had like close to 500 less dollars because I was paying a car payment. And slowly, I just realized that it wasn't worth it. You know, like I could, I could buy that 2004 Subaru Outback because that's kind of a requirement to, to move to Vermont. You're required <laughs> to drive a Subaru. Yeah. And standard issue. Yeah, total, totally standard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the other point on this that I wanted to make is that, you know, not all debt is bad. You know, if you're investing in a, in an income generating property that you're going to rent out and make money on, like by all means, like take on that debt. But if you're thinking about taking on debt just to own something, just, you know, to upgrade your car from, from one to another, or, you know, to even go back to school, like unless that degree is going to earn you more money, I would, I would really think about whether you want to be having those loan payments for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I would not recommend going into debt for school personally. I mean, unless, like you said, I mean, if you're following a passion that is something, you know, you can't, you can't DIY become a doctor. You know, if you want to be right. a doctor, right. you need to go to medical school. Right. You know, and and that, that's not a podcast about this. Maybe there's some hacks around that. I don't know. But you know, I got an email from somebody the other day saying, hey, you know, should I take a year off school? I said, if I was just going to school now, I would recommend even if you might not want to go to community college or whatever, you know, whatever you do, like work, whatever it takes, just don't go into debt. Because if you come out of school with all of this debt or whatever it is, it really limits you in terms of if you're, if you're somebody that wants to travel, you know, you're really going to be limited. Yeah. I mean, so my wife is back in school right now. Um but debt-free life is the good life. Because our monthly expenses are low, 
we are able to pay for her school without going into debt. And she's studying to be a nurse practitioner. So when she graduates, she'll be going from being a bedside nurse to being a nurse practitioner. And that's an immediate raise. So it's even though we are spending a lot of money to do this, it's it's more of an investment than just uh, a debt. It's situational, of course. I mean, it's impossible to have a conversation like this and speak to everybody, but it's just the the idea of the debt-free life is the good life and, and just keeping that in mind, I think, of, okay, you know, credit card debt, very very bad to have, <laughs> not not a great thing to uh, walk around with. Uh, mentally, it, it can, not only mentally can it sort of stop you from doing the things you want to do, but, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to, but it can certainly weigh on somebody, as we discussed, but... Also, it just might stop you because you don't have the money. So just keeping that in mind as you're going through these exercises and remembering there's a greater a greater thing that you're going to get out of this. Okay, number five. You want to take this, Ethan? DIY rocks. Yeah, I'm holding up the two fingers with the two fingers down thing. The rock. I don't know what you call that. The bull horns? Is that what I don't, that's called? I don't, you know, the rock. Know the rocks. Called. The yeah, rock it's signal. Like, it's the thing that you do at the at the rock concert. Yeah, with like all if ACDC was playing and you right. hold up the thing right. with the woo, yeah, with all the kids. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if anybody actually does that. By the way, oh, they totally do. Do they? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> DIY rocks. Um, so many people in the tiny house movement are building their own houses, or you know building maybe not the entire thing, but taking on a significant portion of it. And most of us have no skills when we start. You know, I I had no building skills when I started on my house. And by the end, I was a, a proficient builder. I wouldn't say a pro. But that experience is so empowering. And it really just prepares you for the next challenge. And I don't know how exactly this can apply to travel because again, I do. like you're not going to build your own plane, but maybe Jason knows how this can apply to travel. I think I do. Okay. Hit me. Well, DIY, I, I, when I think of do it yourself, I think of, you know, being an independent traveler versus signing up for a, an expensive group tour or something like that. Because with the group tours, it's not like that group tours are bad that I would never do one or anything. But generally speaking, I haven't. And I mean, I've done things, you know, when I'm in cities or, you know, going to Machu Picchu, you hire a guide and they take you through for four days or whatever. But, you know, that Machu Picchu would be a good example of just a specific destination that somebody would want to go to. And you could sign up for a group package with a touring outfitter and spend thousands of dollars or maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know. Or you could show up, organize it on the ground or or reach out beforehand to individual outfitters. And and I don't know what the cost would be nowadays. I went a long time ago, but you know, have it for fractional cost. And that might seem scarier because everything's not set up and things like that. But that's an example of DIY. I think you learn a lot. You get to interact with people you wouldn't have interacted with, I think, uh, uh, if you were just on a group tour as opposed to being an independent traveler. Uh, again, that's not knocking all group tours because there's some good ones out there. And I think ones that really get you connected with local cultures and things in the right way. But that's kind of the takeaway, I think, that's related to travel here because it is empowering. So if someone wants to travel 
and they're saying, okay, I can take this trip by myself and I'll land in this on South America, but I'm going to be by myself and that's scary. Or I'm going to do this, you know, group thing that'll be safe and secure, but I'm going to spend a lot more money. You're going to spend more money and you're also probably not going to get as as empowered or learn as much as if you went right. on your own. Well, once you do it once, you can you'll d- be able to do it again. So right. you decide, I'm going to go take this trip. I'm not going to hire a guide. I'm going to do it myself. And then the next country you decide to go to, you're going to be more likely to just be willing to jump in and do it yourself. And now you can build houses or tiny houses. Right. Right? Well, <laughs> what's, what's crazy is that, you know, all houses require maintenance. So, you know, I've jumped into things in my tiny house that in the past I wouldn't have ever dreamed of doing without calling professional. I mean, everything from wiring to propane to plumbing. Um, you know, we had a, a water leak and I like literally opened up the wall of my house and like took the cabinet off the wall, fixed the pipe and like put it all back together. And you realize that everything is learnable. I mean, there's YouTube, there's there's the whole internet out there. But Usually, the knowledge isn't the barrier to doing it. It's just the confidence of knowing that you can and being willing to fail. And so the more DIY you do, just the more confident you get and the more willing you are to just jump in and do it. And I come from the camp of pre-confident Mr. Fix-It Man, Ethan, where I, you know, it's, it's scary. The, the project you just described terrifies me or would terrify me. And if that happened in my house, and I think part of the reason is I am so intimidated by house stuff, even though I fixed things before and done things, but for some reason, I don't know. I think in that example, you know, you're if you do make a mistake, you're going to stare at it every day in your living room or whatever, or you know, you don't want to. I don't know. I, I do lack I the know. confidence. It's some I admire your skills and like I, Man, I think I, I admire to- I admire your travel skills because like to me, if you screw something up in your house, like. There's a, a line of professionals who you could call to fix the problem and just make it go away. But like if you screw up in like a foreign country, like my biggest fear is like being somewhere with no access to money, no access to like the internet or a phone and no way to speak the language. Yeah. Well, you would figure it out. And exactly. I guess, and the same yeah. thing with the house project. <laughs> right. Once you once you cut the hole in the wall, you're going to figure out how to fix it. I think I just had a eureka moment. Really? Follow yes. it, man. T- t- Fo- show me what go. Follow my eureka moment? Okay, well, I will six? do that. Well, that is that is lesson number 6. Follow your eureka moment. But um my eureka moment that I just had is that I will start putting holes in my walls. Yeah, just don't <laughs> don't punch holes in your walls. No, if no, you do, no. then they're concrete I would walls. Then therapy. I would be like, yeah, I would be like the one of those I don't know X Men or something, where just concrete shatters everywhere. That's cool. Uh, follow your eureka moment. Lesson number six. What do you mean by this? You came up with this one. I love it. Yeah, I mean it's like you never know where the journey will take you, and so for me, you know, I did the bicycle tour, which you know people can listen back to episode. I don't know when, years ago at this point. Episode something. (laughs) I did that bicycle tour and I got home and back in my cubicle and I came across Tammy Strobel's Tiny House on Wheels. And the second I saw the concept, I'd never heard of the concept of a house on wheels. And it was just like, that is what I need to do. 
that will solve my problems. I need to do this. It was like a truth that suddenly became apparent to me. And you have to, I think that everybody has those moments, but it's, it's up to you to listen when that happens. So when you have that eureka moment, follow it. Like, don't, don't just be like, no, that would never work. Don't, don't like go all negative on yourself before you really give yourself a chance to, to follow it and see where it goes. I love this. I was just writing about something like this today in a new project I'm working on that I can't reveal right now, but we'll reveal soon. It's always this battle, right? Your soul is screaming like, travel, must travel. For you, it was like, must build tiny house. It was just this immediate need and, and ongoing and this white hot burning desire. But then your mind steps in. And it's like, eh, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that. That's probably not a good idea. You got responsibilities, you got bills. So it's this mind soul battle in a way and it's just so easy to let your mind win because if you identify with your mind thinking, you think, well, this is, you know, I'm just being rational. I'm just being smart about this. But that's not always the smart thing and not, not the thing, I, in my opinion, that you should be listening to. Hard to ignore your mind, though. Yeah, very hard to ignore your mind. But you never know where the journey will take you. And that's, that's the other point on this topic, which is when I built the tiny house, I was first working full-time and then consulting for that company. And I had a completely different business, uh, like a tech consulting business. But as I was building and just getting so many questions and feeling just the energy around tiny houses, I realized that there was an opportunity to become an expert and, and start a business. And Today, my life looks completely different. I mean, I literally run an online location-independent business that's all about tiny houses, and that was not my intention at all. I never was like, oh, I'll build a tiny house so I can like get in on the tiny house. like <laughs> Right, like a strategic trend. business strategy or something. Right, I'll do yeah. this so I can start a business about it. No, I didn't, but like, that's... that's where it took me, and I have, would have had... You know, I had no way of knowing that, so... I had to follow it to get here. Yeah. And now you're ending up serving people and writing about and podcasting about something you love and something you're passionate about and something that you were immediately excited about when you found out about it during your eureka moment. And I think that's a beautiful thing too, especially coming from, like I said, lacking the confidence on, on building or, or repairing a wet, you know, leak in a wall or something and thinking, Oh, you, the, like putting myself in your place and thinking, okay, you're saying, I'm going to build a house and you don't know, you don't have really tools. You don't know how to do carpentry. You don't have any of this stuff, but just embracing that eureka moment and going with it and then just taking those steps to get there. Do you remember the first concrete step you took? Was it setting up the bank account or was it uh, something else? I mean, there are so many different first steps that I could say. I think that for me, the thing that felt really real was I bought a set of plans, you know, and I spent several hundred dollars to buy plans. And I actually didn't even end up building that house of the, the plans that I bought. But just doing that made it feel real. Like I had something, I had blueprints that I could look at and, and say, this is going to be my house. 
That's huge. And I, I think I think when you have a eureka moment, for you listening, it might have been, oh, I'm going to travel around the world or I'm going to build a tiny house or whatever it is. It, maybe there should be some kind of graph for this, right? But like it, it, the amount of time that you take between having the, the eureka moment and taking a small action step is probably somehow equivalent to you actually doing it, right? Like I feel like the longer you kind of wait, or I, I shouldn't say not that you would actually do it in general, but maybe you would do it more quickly if you take a small action step right away, if you have that eureka moment. So if you're dreaming about long-term travel and you're listening to this or, or being nomadic or just, I don't know, whatever your thing is with travel or tiny houses or anything, maybe taking a small step today, if you haven't taken one yet, is a good thing to do. And I think, like you said, Ethan, I've certainly done things like that where I've said, oh, like this is this would be a cool idea and maybe I bought in a domain name or something and maybe I never used it or never pursued it and that's okay too. You don't have to beat yourself up for that. But when you have those real true eureka moments when your soul's speaking, take a small action step, whether it's spending a few hundred dollars, that's a big action step really, you know, on plans and saying, this yeah, is going to no, be my big. future house. But it's it does make it real and what in the end, you didn't use those plans but wasn't it worth those few hundred dollars because you were able to do this like yeah no that committed me to right. the journey and you know it gave me something to show people when i was talking about it and get feedback and yeah no without doing that i don't know if i would have built the house you know it just sent me on that journey yeah in the grand scheme it doesn't probably make a big difference financially but it's yeah it puts you on the journey and then i love the idea that you never know where the journey is going to take you because I, mean, I can totally relate to this too, Ethan, when I was do doing the whole nomadic thing and stuff like that. I never thought like, you know, oh, 15 years from now, there's going to be like, a bunch of people that want to live this way and I'll have done it and I'm going to be able to share my experience. Like, you just don't, there's no way you can, that Steve Jobs thing, you can't connect the dots backwards or you can only connect the dots backwards, right? To how you yeah. got to a certain place. Yeah, like but. 15 years from now after the internet gets invented. Cause <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Enough age jokes. Um, I guess I've been doing this for a while. All right, the last lesson, lesson number seven. Can you say it? I can say it. Why don't you say it? Well, I said it in the beginning and we teased it out. Don't be afraid to poop in a bucket. Yeah. What is so going on here? <laughs> Well, this one is near and dear to my heart because um, I do a lot of education about tiny houses and the systems in tiny houses. And everybody always wants to know, how do you poop? Where do you poop? Where does the poop go? <laughs> the poop question and is the big one. many tiny houses use composting toilets because many tiny houses are parked off-grid in places where there is no hookup to septic or sewer. And people are afraid of this. Like they have a visceral reaction to the idea that they are going to poop and it is not going to get flushed down the toilet. And, you know, I can rant about how the flush toilet is crazy because we're literally defecating into drinking water and then flushing it away. But once you have the experience of using a composting toilet, you realize that it's really not a big deal. It's, you know, instead of quote unquote flushing the toilet with water, you're flushing it with sawdust. And so be open 
to radical lifestyle changes because they can lead to huge benefits. You know, your tiny house might not have plumbing or running water, but that's going to enable you to park it on the edge of a lake or like in the middle of the forest where there's no utilities. And I think the same thing goes for travel. You know, when you're on an adventure, you might be living in ways that you never thought you would live, you know, that maybe in your normal life would be totally below you. Like, you know, stealth camping on someone's private property, sleeping outside. I'm sure you have tons of stories of of how this can relate to, to your journeys, but just be open to those radical lifestyle changes. Yeah, and I think if you're gearing up for travel too, it's it's the same, right? I got an email from somebody the other day and one of the things they said, they were just listing all the things they have done to make their long-term travel dreams a reality. And one of the things they listed, and I've gotten this from listeners before, is you know, getting rid of their house or their apartment, whether they sold it or they were renting one out, and, and moving into a place and ha- or having roommates come into their place or going into a place where you have roommates. Now, like a radical lifestyle change is of course, subjective to one person's radical might be somebody else's, oh, that's no big deal. I'm just going to get some roommates. You know what I mean? But either way, whatever your version is of that, whether it's leaving your job and just going or just getting some roommates and maybe you don't want to have roommates. Maybe you like living alone, but you're saying, you know what, like for the greater good, uh, for this, for my travel fund or whatever it is that's my bigger goal, I'm going to take on some roommates right now, you know? Um, Or like you said, some stuff that can happen on the road and things like that. I think there's a lot of um, pooping in the bucket parallels here. But um, either way, being open-minded about different ways of life that can enable you to either travel or extend your travels or whatever the case is that that you want to do. I think that was a really good lesson to finish on. Totally. And... I, I was going to try to make a poop joke about finishing, oh. but I just couldn't, I couldn't muster oh, it. Oh, man. We should have missed up, opportunity. We should have lined up a poop joke. There's got to be a good <laughs> poop joke out there somewhere if anybody can send us a poop. Why are we talking about poop jokes? Yeah, on sorry. This you should cut this. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to cut this um, <laughs> because I just, I just can't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's part of lesson number seven. No, Ethan, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing the lessons that you've learned, not only from like being a thought leader in the tiny house space, but also your own personal journey and, you know, going from this eureka moment to where you're at now. By the way, I have a poop joke here. Did you know that uh, diarrhea is hereditary? No. It it runs in your genes. (laughs) Oh. I just looked that up online. Stealthy. Thanks, thoughtcatalog.com. All right. Tell us where we can find you if people want to learn more about all things tiny house related. Sure. The best place is my website. It's thetinyhouse.net. You'll find my podcast there, my books there, my community there. It's all there. Nice. And the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast? Yes. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast uh, is the show. Uh, we've got 22 episodes now. I put one out every Friday and, you know, I'd love to welcome some new listeners. Can I crash the show sometime, Ethan? Are you going to be able to say no now while we're live and recording? No. Talk about a forced entry. Of course you can crash the show, Jason. (laughs) Well, speaking of crashing, before I let you go, I have to say 
when I came to Norway a while back, one of the things I did was went, you know, slightly out of my way up to Vermont and to hang out with you and just spend time together. And I didn't get to see you the first night, but I did get to sleep in your tiny house, which is on this idyllic pond and all these beautiful trees. And um, it was one of the best night's sleeps that I've had. And if you want to see this, the house I slept in, you can see Ethan's house on his website. But I want to say thanks for that because I'd always wanted to sleep in one of those tiny houses and see what it was like. So I got to hang out there with you. I got to spend a night in it alone, which was really cool just to see what, you know, kind of envision what that lifestyle was like. And it's just such a cool thing that you built. And uh, just congratulations on all that. And thanks for that. And then we also got to experience the the rare, the uh, the hard to find What's the name of that beer? Hetty Topper. Hetty Topper. The Hetty Topper, which is one of Vermont's famous beers, right? Yeah, and man, there are so many more amazing beers now. It the uh, beer scene has like exploded. So you're gonna have to come back because there are more and different beers to wait in line for okay. now. All right. Well, more excuses to travel, just what I need. Yeah. Uh thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jason. It it was awesome. Cheers. There you have it. Ethan, thank you so much, my man. It's always a pleasure chatting with you and getting to record a podcast. was that much sweeter. And to share those seven lessons that you've learned from your journey, building a tiny house and being a part of that space, and just so many things we can take from that and apply to long-term or full-time travel. Hope you enjoyed listening in on those lessons. Thank you for listening, my friend. I got a few things for you. Here on the back end, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to give a shout out to one of you fine folks out there in the Zero to Travel Caravan, the listening community. Diana, welcome to the caravan. Thanks for checking in. She says, hey, Jason, I thought I should get in touch to tell you how much I've been loving the Zero to Travel podcast. I just recently discovered it and have probably binged around 30 episodes this week. Wow, thank you. I've never listened to a more inspiring podcast. Now I'm dreaming up all kinds of lists and places I want to go and things I want to experience. And she sent me some of her ideas. She wants to travel to Cuba. She said she went there as a kid and loved Havana. Wants to go to Melbourne, Australia, Montreal, Quebec City. She said another possible option, Spain or Germany. Just riffing on a bunch of places she wanted to go. So I love reading these emails and you know, I love to hear from listeners, and this is why she finished the email. She said, anyways, I thought I'd just shoot an email because it seems like you enjoy getting to know your listeners. Fact. That is true. Um, Another reason why your podcast is so great. Diana, thank you so much. Yes, I love to hear from listeners. Hint, hint, wink, wink. That is you. If you haven't emailed me, you can drop me a line anytime. Or better yet, leave a review on iTunes because I read all of those and those really make my day. So if this podcast is a part of your life and you haven't checked in somehow, some way, say hi sometime. Let me know what you're up to. Thank you, Diana. Welcome to the Zero Travel Listening community. You're joining a lot of other travel junkies. I'm sure you can feel the love. So we're all giving you a big group hug right now. (laughs) Thanks for dropping me a line. And at the top of the show, I also talked about my trip back to the States Crazy in many ways. We were doing a gathering for our community location, Indy, which was awesome. We had about 30 people come out, almost 40 people in total with our team there and everything, doing a bunch of workshops and going out. We went to a baseball game. We did belly dancing. We did Tai Chi. (laughs) We hit up a bunch of breweries and just 
had a blast. We climbed a mountain in Boulder, went to my favorite pub there, the Mountain Sun. It was so awesome hanging out with people that I've been interacting with online through our community location, Indy. If you haven't heard about it, it's the place where we help people build and sustain a location-independent lifestyle. So you have the ability to work from anywhere, doing your own thing, something you enjoy, and being around all of those community members and all those people and just getting to talk travel and to talk about our work and the things we want to do to help other people and just getting to hang out in an amazing city, Denver, Colorado, and share that time together was a blast. Nothing beats getting together in real life. We're actually opening up the community again this week at the time of this recording. We only open it up every so often. So if you go to locationindie.com, you can check that out because we are going to be taking new members. And if you want to be location independent or you are location independent, but you're feeling that loneliness, you're feeling that disconnect where you're stuck doing your own thing and you have nobody to bounce ideas off of, nobody to kind of help you along the way and share those ups and downs with you and you want to get surrounded by other people that can support you and really make new friends that are like-minded, that also love travel and are in this unconventional lifestyle, this unconventional way of thinking where, hey, we don't want to settle for the regular thing want to do our own thing and be able to travel the world that is open so i'll leave a link to that in the show notes and if you've been thinking about joining a community this is your chance you don't want to miss it because uh, after this week we'll be closing up the doors again so would love to have you in if you think that's a fit and during that trip i was kind of blown away with a couple things first of all the portions in america are freaking crazy I kind of forgot how big the food portions are. I mean, do I really need that many fries? I guess. I mean, I guess I did because I ate them all. But (laughs) I was just continually amazed by how big the portions are, how much food you get. And it's been a while since I've been based in Norway as an expat. And because it's so expensive to eat out here, even for Norwegians, it is in the culture just to cook at home a lot. And that was a big adjustment for me coming here first because in the States, you have happy hour, you have all these places you can eat and go get cheap food. And of course you have restaurants and things here, but there is no happy hour allowed here. You're not allowed to discount alcohol and people don't generally have happy hours where they have discounted food and things like that. And the restaurants, like I said, are just expensive. There's a lot more tax on eating out. So it had been a big lifestyle change uh, to cook and eat in a lot, especially for somebody like me who had been traveling and eating out all the time. And then I went back to the States and I was eating in all the time and I was getting burnt out on that. (laughs) I thought I would love eating out all the time because I never get to do it here. But after a little while, the pounds started coming on and I'm like, man, I can't, these portions are insane. I can't handle, I mean, somehow I still handled it. I still shoved all the food in my mouth. So don't, don't feel too bad for me. I got to go out to a few diners and have the American breakfast, which I can't really get here. So again, I really loved it. I'm not complaining, but man, those portions are big. (laughs) So anyway, outside of that, the other thing I want to talk about is how I felt when I left the United States, because the other times I've gone back, when I left to come back to Europe, I just kind of felt a little bit of a a little bit down, I guess. Like I didn't want to let go. I kind of wanted to stay. 
I kind of wanted to stay in my home country and be there and be there for longer. Now, I wanted to stay in the sense that I wanted to spend more time with my family and friends, but as a place to live this time, I didn't feel that compulsion, that desire to just stay there for whatever reason. I was actually really excited to come back to Europe and back to my home here in Oslo. And I don't know what that means, but I do know that has increased the quality of my daily life, at least for the last few days since I've been back, because I feel like for the first time I am coming home in in a deeper way. And if travelers, people that have been nomadic for a long time, you can relate to this, you, it's hard to feel at home anywhere. Uh, sometimes it just feels at home to be traveling. That's, that's the home feeling. The home feeling is being on the road. And I always had a hard time settling down. Colorado was a place that I loved so much and that I got comfortable. And it was really the first place that I felt like I could settle and feel like I had a good time. And my heart is still in Colorado in many ways. But I realized my heart's also here in Norway. It's not just in Colorado. A big piece of it is here, of course, because my family's here. But I'm just talking about the place. I just felt good coming back to the airport here. And that was a bit of a revelation for me. So... A little bit crazy. I don't feel as much attached to the culture in the States that I've been a part of growing up for so long. I'm not necessarily attached to the culture here. I just kind of detached culturally, but I'm absorbing it, all the good things about it everywhere. I I don't know. I, I guess that's the best way to explain it. I'm kind of working this out as I speak with you here. But that's how I feel right now. And my point is, it's amazing how much travel can change you, even your daily life, even immediately when you come back, even just a a seemingly innocent trip back home. And of course, getting to be around all the community members that I talked about before and everything like that is always inspiring and uplifting, getting to make those connections. So several ways the trip has changed me and just a three-week trip. So if you've been debating a trip It doesn't have to be long-term or full-time if you even just can get away for a couple weeks or a week or a weekend or 10 days or whatever you got, do it because you never know how it's going to change your life and just be open to that change and you might be surprised if you reflect on it immediately how it might have changed your life more than you even thought possible in such a short amount of time. Travel, what a beautiful thing, right? It's why we all love it. One of the many reasons we all love it. It's why you're here. And thank you again for being a part of this community, my friend. I am going to leave you with a quote to wrap this show up. First, I'm going to do something a little different and bring my guest today, Ethan, back on for one minute to share a little story around AeroPress, which is sponsoring today's show, the AeroPress Coffee Maker. Listen in on that story, and I'll come back with that quote. First, I want to take a moment to thank... Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, you're going to find the best backpacks to travel the world with for any length trip, three weeks, three months, or three years. I use the Tortuga Outbreaker with the day pack religiously, but they also have a lot of other great packs for any situation, any type of travel, really, depending on how minimal you want to be and what types of features you want. Check out their stuff. Go to that link and you can get 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL 
if you decide to order anything just for being a Zero to Travel podcast listener. So really appreciate Fred and his team over at Tortuga for supporting this show and giving you guys a discount on their awesome travel gear. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga, promo code TRAVEL, just the word TRAVEL when you check out 10% off anything whether it's their packing cubes or their backpacks or whatever. They got all kinds of cool stuff. If you go to that link, you'll see the things I recommend. Thank you once again to Tortuga for supporting today's show. Ethan, you gave me what I believe was my first AeroPress experience after I stayed in the tiny house. We went back to Burlington where you have a condo with your wife and we were in the kitchen. You offered to make me a coffee and then all of a sudden you bring out this thing and I'm like, what is that? You're like, oh, it's the AeroPress. And you started talking about, well, you tell me, I mean, this is sort of a Zen thing of just making the coffee. And then I tasted the coffee and my mind was blown. Yeah, I probably said something like, it's the cleanest cup of coffee (laughs) you'll ever drink. Because it really is. And I've been using one for years and I can't go back. It's just the tastiest cup of coffee. It's a great thing for travel for road trips or whatever but also the tiny house the whole tiny house living thing right because there, there's no nothing to plug in I mean, you have to see the thing if you go to aeropressinc.com you can see what it's all about but there you go i mean ethan you were the guy that introduced me to the aeropress i i'm i'm pretty confident about that because i just remember being in your kitchen and, and having my mind blown by this like what you said this clean cup of coffee i'm like wow i can have coffee like this at home this is amazing so aeropressinc.com or you can just go, if you want to taste it first, go up to Ethan's kitchen in Vermont and he'll make you a cup. <laughs> I never knew that I was the first one, but you know, I'm, I'm actually finishing a cup of AeroPress coffee Ooh. right now. Nice mug, by the way. That's killer. Thanks, Ethan. You're welcome. There you go. Thanks again, Ethan. Now I've got a quote from Mother Teresa. Since we were talking about all things tiny... I'll leave you with this quote. She says, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 